let's just take it as it goes. Welcome back to another episode of Sandhill Road. I haven't been recording for five weeks now. Can you believe it? And I'm super excited to jump right back in with a great guest. She's a former Air Force captain, Kimberly Shank, who's the founder of Novi Connect. Novi Connect, it's, a, it's an interesting business model. It's a B2B marketplace or a SaaS-enabled marketplace, we'll find out which one of the two, that basically helps brands to connect with the suppliers for sustainable materials in a rather complex sort of supply chain market, and we'll unpack all of this. So Kimberly, really excited to have you on the show today. Yes, thank you. So excited to be here and chat with you. And as you've just been through the whole fundraising journey, right, just closing on a, a major funding round led by Greylock, you probably have the two-minute or five-minute or 15-minute elevator pitch, depending on, on how long the elevator ride is. Why don't you just give us the top of the show notes on what Novi Connect does and sort of how you got into this space? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the, the high level is that we all feel the pressure of the future of consumer goods is transparency and sustainability. It's actually, it's like the most significant trend we see in beauty, personal care, home goods, everything we touch, eat, breathe, use. So that is fundamentally actually changing the way brands design and develop consumer products. So sustainability and transparency requires incredible amounts of data. And it introduces this like whole level of complexity in how you source materials and develop products. And so what Novi is, is this end-to-end -end product development platform. So what that means is we help brands source and purchase transparent and sustainable materials, and then also design products using those materials so that they can go to market with better products for humans and the environment. It's an interesting story on how you got to found Novi Connect. And if I look into your history there, you started off in, in 2017, I think, with something that looks completely different at first. It's, it's a company called Naked Poppy, which curates and sells cosmetics with uh, sustainable ingredients. At the time when, you know, the fundraising round led by Cowboy Ventures was announced, you sort of also announced that you would spin out with Novi Connect. Talk a little bit about, you know, how that came together and why you decided to, to go all in on, on Novi at that point. Absolutely. So yeah, I co-founded that back in 2017 with Jale Bisharat and her and I had this, this thesis that, hey, you know, we need to be able to bring better products to market that are healthier for humans and the environment. And there's got to be a way that we can do this with data. And so we started this company together to take a tech angle on bringing products to market in the personal care and beauty space. And it's, I got very close to product manufacturing, which I had never done before. I've always been on the software side of things and ended up finding firsthand all of the difficulties. We couldn't find information on materials. We talked with brands. We're also struggling to find information on materials around transparency and sustainability. And so to solve this problem, we actually started to build the beginnings of Novi, which was more around data management at the time. But then we had a close connections with brands, retailers, suppliers, as we were investigating and figuring out how we would solve this for our internal problem. And they began approaching us before we had a user-facing product to ask if, you know, they could be a part, if they can have access to it. And that's kind of when we knew we had something. And so that was the a time where, you know, every startup goes through, do we pivot? Do we... Um, spin this out. And we ended up deciding to spin Novi out as its own company to focus on that problem. And Naked Poppy was one of our obviously very early customers in there. 
and help me understand what the marketplace or the, the e-commerce angle of Naked Poppy is. And it says it's for on-the-go women who seek high standards in hand-vetted luxe and long-lasting clean makeup. The site at the moment mainly sells third-party products, but yeah. also its own. And that's yep. how you got to take this closer look into sort of the sustainable materials space, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It was this unique angle where we were developing our own line and, and they're still developing um, multiple products in their own line and also selling with third-party vendors. And the whole premise was vetting down to the very materials used in every one of those products. And that's exactly where the problems that started to happen. You talk with these brands and they had little transparency and we were struggling to get transparency. And there was a clear solution that this, you know, this industry is very antiquated and how information is shared and how you source and discover materials. And so that's kind of the problem we set out to start solving. For the outsider, we think, okay, it's pretty straightforward. You look at the ingredients or the materials, and then you basically know what's going on. But there's a lot of secrecy in this industry. It's a pretty opaque industry, this whole supply chain, especially for sustainable products. Yeah. Maybe unpack this a little bit and sort of the problem space that you're, that you're trying to solve. I kind of like to give the example as baking a cookie because I think we can all resonate with that a little bit more. When you think about just basic stuff like what flour am I going to use? Of course, you can use flour that is potentially manufactured with a bunch of additives and, you know, cornstarch and whatever is added into that. Or you can use flour that's organically milled or, you know, whole wheat flour or whatever. Think about chocolate. You can use, you know, milk chocolate that's off the shelf with a bunch of corn syrup in it, or you can find organically sourced fair trade chocolate. And so all that means is that as you're sourcing those materials, there's actually hundreds of different suppliers out there that create that flour or that chocolate. And when we think of consumers, we turn over a cookie label on what we're buying in the store and we kind of just see the word flour and chocolate and we're like, okay, great. Um, but when we think more into terms of how it, what it means to bring a sustainable or a transparent product to market, it means getting to the core of who made it and how did they make it and sourcing from better suppliers who make better flour and better chocolate. And so the reality is, is that the data needed to vet a material against the complex standards of sustainability, transparency, clean, all of that information just lives offline and in unstructured formats. And so... When the industry at large is so fragmented, when you think about it, the chemicals or materials space is this $5 trillion global industry operating offline. You know, it's very antiquated in the fact that the information is not digitized. The brand trying to do this across thousands of ingredients and hundreds of products, it starts to become nearly impossible to do manually. And so that's the core problem. It's tremendously difficult to do this responsibly, but technology is here to solve those kinds of problems. And this brings me a little bit to your background, which I think is not what you would expect for a company like this. You don't have a chemical background, actually. You're an MIT trained data scientist, former head of data science at Eventbrite, right? And this gives you this data lens and data perspective with which you, you fuel the space, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think, um, the, the core thread for me is that I'm super motivated by serving others and serving a greater good. That's why I joined the Air Force when I was 
younger and went to the Air Force Academy, ended up falling in love with math there. And that's when I became a data scientist in the Air Force, studied at MIT, focused on machine learning and got to do a bunch of cool stuff with logistics and top secret security clearances, but was very fascinated with how AI was being used in tech. And it wasn't called AI at the time I was in school, but just the concepts behind that. And so that's when I, you know, I left the Air Force as a captain, decided to start my second career in tech, did build the data science organization at Eventbrite and worked at various other startups focused on data. So when I think about the thread of my very mission-driven focus is just, you know, ethos and then also my background in data, it kind of felt like this amazing combination or amalgamation of everything I've done to solve such a large problem for society, which I think from my perspective, the mission is literally to get better hands, products into the hands of consumers so that we have healthier people, people and planet. And that's, that's really what we're trying to do at Novi. I heard you talking about this on a different podcast. I think your dad was a firefighter and it gave you this missionary over mercenary attitude to life and business very early on. The business model of Novi Connect, I was trying to understand it. And there's this notion of SaaS enabled marketplaces. And I looked at the pricing page of Novi and the way that it looks at the moment is that you have more of a SaaS pricing than the typical marketplace, B2B marketplace pricing where you'd have a classical take rate. How would you describe your business model? It's a great question. So I like to think of this as a powerful marketplace and data engine embedded in our design software. So. We're making essentially the process of product development exponentially more efficient by taking processes that typically live very separately. So if you think about the traditional workflow, the business defines what product that they want to, you know, I want to create a face wash and I want it to be vegan. And they make all these requirements about the product. And then they hand it over to an R&D team, which is usually a bunch of chemists who are trying to develop the product, but they have a lot of you know, got to follow a lot of standards and things that were set by the business. And then that's passed off to a sourcing team. And so all that to say is oh, there's so many handoffs, communication breakdowns back and forth, and it contributes to tre tremendous inefficiencies in how brands develop products. And when you overlay this new complexity of transparency and sustainability, it's actually just breaking. And so putting that all together in one powerful system is actually streamlining something that typically takes 18 months from conception to shelf to nearly half the time. And so we view this new world and this gets to the business model where we have all these activities in one place because they're so interdependent, they require the same data. And so we are in part of the, the transaction and that's the piece of the model that, yes, the SaaS software actually it predominantly is free. And of course, if you start to use it more as a business enterprise, that's when you start to see those upgrades. But a lot of this design you can do in the free version. And that's on purpose because we see that as the thing that starts to drive the ordering and the procurement. And that's actually where we live in, in part of our monetization. That's the typical come for the tools, stay for the network kind of model, right? Yep. On growing the marketplace. Let's talk a little bit about the, the Novi Connect MVP. And uh, I could imagine that given that you've started, you know, building, building out this idea at Naked Poppy, that you had an MVP in mind already when you spun out, or maybe even had some, some code already, how did that come together? And you obviously as a technical person, you probably like, like to get your hands dirty on, on some code every now and then who is programming this first MVP and, and who's working on that now? 
I built the first MVP. I am not a front-end developer, but I did use no-code applications to get the front-end version of the, the software off the ground. And I built the first data model, which powered it, you know, behind the scenes, which I guess you would traditionally call the back-end. But essentially the very first version of this, we like to call it like a LinkedIn. So there was the software very, very lightweight version of the workflow software. And then the LinkedIn part was finding material from the supplier and then connecting with them. And we we kind of pitched it as if you'd like more sophisticated ways to search and more access to data, you can kind of upgrade in that model. And that that was initially how it took off. And when we started to see that my no code application could no longer handle the the critical mass of customers we had, we started to to hire out an engineering team to to build the next version. It's <laughs> really cool. Now getting to the first customer, today you have, you know, sizable customers. I mean, there's Sephora, which I think you have as a, a really as a flagship customer and you're you're doing sort of the public facing chemicals policy for them, helping them with that. But how did you get the first sort of logos to join you? Actually, a lot of it. So this was a little bit of where we ended up early days partnering with a lot of brands because at Naked Poppy, we, of course, were selling brands, third-party brands. And so we had this ability to get tons of feedback and have early adopters in that sense. And that's what led us to have an early partnership with Sephora, who... Um, in a really great network effect model, which maybe we will talk about later, but they ended up sponsoring the use of our software for all the brands that they sell in their store to meet the new standards that we had co, you know, worked on to, to help Sephora attain. And so it's very powerful because we have all the underlying data. We could help mitigate the liability of self-reporting with Sephora, but then also it was just a really great network tool for us to leverage to get our product and software into the hands of more brands. And talk a little bit about metrics and sort of the growth that you had. I think it was a 300% growth in the first half of this year and sort of what are the key milestones that you just recently hit? Yeah, so we, I mean, we ended up releasing our very first MVP in, in April 2020, and we opened up more broadly, still remaining in stealth from a marketing perspective, more in October 2020, but we've seen tremendous growth in a short amount of time. I mean, over 300% growth in customer base just in the first half of 2021 alone. And I think that's a testament to the fact that we're a very demand-driven, go-to-market growth model. We've seen so many network effects that we've been able to do this without being very public, remaining in stealth, all of those things so far. Oh, that's amazing. And now talking about my favorite topic, as we're obviously here on a venture podcast, that's the fundraising journey. And you started out with a 1.5 million seat led by DeFi partners. I think the partner there, Brian Rothenberg, he was a former colleague of you at Eventbrite, if I understand it correctly. Talk about this first round and then also about the most recent round from, from Greylock. Yes, it's tremendous because if you think about how this all came together, I always tell this story where when I was first joining Eventbrite, I was deciding to go to Eventbrite or PayPal and I didn't know Brian at all. And he was somebody that helped in the closing call of getting me to Eventbrite convinced me to come. And so that was like the very initial development of my relationship with Brian. We worked very closely together at Eventbrite, but fast forward to that, Jale Bisharat, she was the former chief marketing officer of Eventbrite and her and I co-founded Naked Poppy and we stayed very close with Brian. And as we were navigating, taking Novi out and, you know, spinning it out of, of Naked Poppy, he was just like instrumental in helping us think through the 
how to structure that and how that should go. And so, of course, you know, shortly after it made a lot of sense. He had been very close to the business and what we were building and the relationship was already there. And so that was pretty much a no brainer to raise our seed round very, very early stage for Novi. And then the series A one year later, pretty successful traction until then. And I'm quoting here, Mike from Greylock, who led you around here saying that demand for clean, transparent, sustainable products has forced modernization across the entire CPG supply chain. And Kimberly has the unique combination of firsthand empathy for this problem and the data science DNA to build the network that will push this industry forward. So. How did you manage to convince Mike um, that you're the person that can build this chemical marketplace or ingredients or uh. materials marketplace? Was it a longer conversation? Did you run a whole process for the Series A? How did it work? It was actually a very quick, you know, experience, to be quite honest. And I think a lot of this was he, you know, Mike had already had a thesis in the chemical space. And that was really important to me as I was you know, starting to pick my head up and talk to to potential investors, just had done a lot of research and understood the shifts in the industry. It's a very complex industry. And if you find somebody brand new to the space, it's it takes a lot to educate. And so that wasn't there. And when we talked about our approach to solve um, this from the demand side perspective for brands, that's, I think, when it clicked and he was all in. And so, yeah, we we didn't talk to too many people. We only focused on people who had done research. And it was just very fortunate that Mike was early in those conversations and we hit it off right away. That's, that's always good if you have someone who's yeah. been thinking about the problem space and sort of knows the, the levers and then exactly. really understands your business model. And now going back to the business model and to the marketplace, I want to dive really deeply into the marketplace model there because it's not a simple demand supply side marketplace. It actually has four different parties. It's brands, it's retailers, it's suppliers, and it's manufacturers, and they all play a slightly different role. Let's start out with sort of what constitutes the demand side, which, as you said, your demand side first marketplace, starting with the brands and the retailers, as far as I understand. Maybe unpack each party and sort of how they play into this dynamic and what are the frictions in this marketplace? Yeah. It's actually super interesting because you're correct. When you think about a traditional marketplace model, there's a very clear demand and supply side. And I think what we saw early on is that the ecosystem that up holds up this industry is so complex. And if you only solve for a small subset of it, you're actually not going to be able to solve the problem and infiltrate. And so when we think about demand versus supply, actually what lives on the demand side is the retailers, the brands, and the manufacturers. And I'll tell you why the manufacturers live there. And the supply side is strictly material suppliers. So when we think about retailers, it's kind of the pointy end of the spear in terms of they are, a retailer still has a consumer base, right? They still sell to a consumer, but they do that by, you know, putting third-party brands and vendors on their shelves. And a lot of these retailers to uphold their um, end of the bargain to the consumer, they're starting to create standards, target clean, clean at Sephora, you know, all of these different things because they want to make. And so there's also this really, really great marketing angle to this where a retailer will have a standard that a brand will aspire to meet because they know they're going to drive more business because that's where consumers are going. And so when we partner with retailers, a lot of it is we bring them and we help them get their standard so that it's propagated across the industry so that everybody can start using it 
as their North Star. And then also we partner with retailers because they, at the end of the day, want brands to be compliant. And so they help bring us brands. They bring our software to brands. And it's a really great first part of our growth model and network growth engine. And then when we get brands on the platform, in order to build a product, a brand is typically working with a third-party formulator, and that's where the word manufacturer comes in. And so brands are desperately trying to meet all the different complex industry standards, and they will bring their manufacturer onto the platform to co-develop. That's, again, a tremendous network opportunity for us because manufacturers work with hundreds of different brands. And so they end up bringing us brands, and we start to see that flywheel go. And I think this attests to why we've seen so much growth. But then the interesting piece of this is actually brands and manufacturers bring us suppliers. And so they'll either introduce us to suppliers, which is exactly how we got Dow Chemical onto the platform, or they will say, hey, can you go help us find a supplier that meets, you know, XYZ standard? And because we have this great, you know, critical mass of demand, it makes that conversation with a supplier very easy to bring them on. And so that flywheel just starts to continue to spin. And, and that's kind of how we've, we've seen that growth go. Interesting. So you have two different kinds of flywheels within this supply chain, if I understand it correctly. But on the monetization, let me drill down on this. Yeah. As far as I understand, you're currently only charging on the demand side. Actually, no. So I think what's interesting is we bring a lot of business to our suppliers and we monetize accordingly on that. But our value is also in bringing financing to brands. And so that's why we're placing a lot of emphasis in the transaction. And so behind the scenes, what you're not seeing is that's actually where a lot of our focus is and a lot of our business model lives. Interesting. Okay. And let's talk a little bit about the supply side on the manufacturer side. I saw there in the copy on the website, it says that your trade secrets are safe with Novi and you have a differential model where you verify certain ingredients and sort of the the lineage of these ingredients and the data, but that's not revealed to, to the demand side. Talk about this friction and this characteristic in the, in the industry. Yes, this is actually one of the most important characteristics and gets to the data problem at the core. So if you think about this from the supplier's perspective, if I want to know, for example, if an ingredient is vegan, I have to know something about the manufacturing process that that supplier went through to create that material. And it doesn't matter what the material it is. You know, it could be an ingredient, a chemical, it could be a package, whatever. But that manufacturing process is actually very proprietary. You know, you don't want to post that online and have all of your competitors in the supply industry see it, or they're just going to knock off your innovation. And so... This is where things start to get really tricky when you think about, we, we like to talk about it at no transparency without disclosure. So we sit as this verification or third-party engine where we ingest all of that proprietary information on behalf of suppliers and those that don't want to share IP. And then at the end of the day, honestly, brands come to us and they're like, I don't want to shift through thousands of pages of documentation and manufacturing flowcharts to see if this thing is VN. I'd love for somebody to do that for me. And if I can trust that Novi has done all that work and has all that data, great. I pass that off to you. And so that's kind of where we sit in that. And that's what's been so compelling to get suppliers onto the platform, which is actually largely why they've been resistant to digitize to date. It's because the amount of information that they would have to put online in a public forum in order to digitize is actually a really risky for their business. And so we are, when we say that we're a, you know, not traditional in the sense that you don't just show up to a, a website and buy something. It is a closed customer platform where we do make sure that everybody that's coming on is a legitimate brand and not, a, you know, a supplier's competitor. 
Now that's super interesting how you're acting as this certification agent in a sense to ease this friction in the marketplace, right? Yes. That's, that's super yeah. interesting. And I will say on that point, just really quickly from the certification angle, because it's very important. We like to call ourselves Switzerland in the fact that Novi has no point of view. We are very traditionally a data platform. And so we don't tell you, this is Novi's definition of sustainability. We only use standards that are developed by third parties. And so of course, retailers are our biggest bucket of that because that's where, you know, consumers are trending, but there's a lot of third-party certifications, scientific standards, and those can all be coded in. And so we have all of those regulatory, everything you can imagine so that if a brand wants to vet any material against any of them, they can and do that in a way where they define their own standard for sustainability. Super nice. And I like the analogy. I don't know if you, if you can tell from my accent, but I'm actually Swiss. So. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, now talking about competition, which is always, you know, a big topic in startups, I tried to find competitors. The only potential competitor that was sort of top of my mind was the Sequoia Beck company called Note, um, K-N-O-M-W-D-E, which is sort of a chemicals B2B marketplace. But maybe I'm just not really seeing the different competitors in that space. It seems like you're pretty much on an open field there, really trailblazing yeah. the segment. Exactly. I think the the fundamental difference is obviously we're demand driven. And so we solve this for the demand side. And when we think about our largest competitors in that space, it's consultants. Year after year, brands have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to hire a consultant to do one-off tasks, to go out and try and research and find information and, and pro treat it as a project. I think the reason that that connotation of competitor comes up is because sure, we do actually classify as a B2B marketplace because we have the sourcing aspect in the procurement aspect, but it's the piece of it is we've built that product design system on top of that. And so the fundamental belief here and what we've seen is that you don't source a material one by one, you design a product built off of a combination of materials. And so that complexity is actually the piece that we're solving. The analogy I like to give is you wouldn't show up somewhere and say, great, that glycerin looks awesome on paper. I'm just going to buy a thousand gallons of it because you might get it, put it in your product and some chemical reaction happens and the whole thing blows up or it falls apart, it, you know? So you have to go through an iteration process to design the product and you might try 10 different glycerins to find the perfect one. And so that's where we live to be a part of that so that when you're ready to make your sourcing decisions, you can do that through the marketplace on Novi. Understood. Now talking a little bit about data science and I'm reading here from, from a TechCrunch article that says Novi has an AI driven platform that it says can ingest and manage manufacturers' proprietary data at scale. And obviously you as a trained data scientist, you're probably always very cautious when using the term AI. And so I'm not yep. sure that this was a TechCrunch journalist using that word. From the outset, it looks like you're building really this proprietary data set and that sort of the value really lies in the originality of the data that you bring to light rather than, you know, an AI or machine learning algorithm that runs on it. Maybe speak a little bit about this data angle. Yes. Well, for any fellow data scientists listening, anyone that's in data science knows that the most important part of a model is the 
data itself. And so that is a very, very important component of this is building that huge proprietary layer of information and data. But you're right. AI is how you use that information to, you know, it's modeling. And a lot of our modeling actually comes in two different places. The first is our recommendation engine. And so that's getting back to that design software. We are helping brands uncover and find materials based on their requirements. And it starts to get very interesting when you think about it from a formulation perspective and some of the chemical properties and attributes that go with every single material out there. And so recommending different um, materials is how that shows up. And then the other other places, honestly, when we talk about our financial and the fintech layer that we're building, it's risk modeling. And so you can think about the massive amount of information that we actually capture on brands as they're developing their entire roadmap of products out into 2025 on Novi and what they've done in the past. And, you know, we capture even other information as we're thinking about facilitating the transaction between the supplier. And so that amount of information is also used in a lot of our modeling exercises. Let's talk a little bit about the next steps for Novi. You just cleared this Series A. I think the way I understand it, you are the sole founder of Novi and you now have to start bringing people in and scale this company. How's that going so far? I think the tremendous thing here is that there's a new appetite out there. And I don't know if this is COVID driven or just because, you know, trends and consumer behavior in general are driving this, but there's a new appetite for people to really want to work at mission driven companies. And I think a lot of what we've seen in tech in the past is trying to bring a mission to a company that potentially isn't really that mission driven. And what we're doing is at the core, everybody that's here wants to see a more sustainable future. And we're finding a lot of talent and attracting a lot of talent because of that, that mission component and people that are actively looking to work on products that drive sustainability. So from that perspective, I think, of course, there's always the hiring challenges that any startup has, but it's been very refreshing to, to see that be something that's like one of our competitive advantages. And I heard you talk about you know, the training in the military that they sort of first have to break you down in the training to then build you up and to sort of, you know, create this team spirit and that you try to emulate this to some extent at Novi. So how does it look like the boot camp at week one at Novi? Yes, I love that. It's it's definitely more of an analogy, but I do like to think of it as like we are, our culture here is all about being owners and being very transparent about things that are happening. And so with that ownership and transparency, people are able to get to the core, get super vulnerable about the fact that we're solving extremely hard problems and solve them together. And I think the analogy there is you know, you're broken down to a very vulnerable place in the military through training because things are really hard and you learn how to, with other people, build back up to solve and become extremely productive team. And so we use a lot of common analogies and thoughts and, and we'll do readings. And, and there's a lot that we leverage from that to like get our minds uh, focused on the fact that this is a marathon and not a sprint. And I've, I've said that many times before, which is like, you can sprint at this, but you won't finish the marathon. And so we're all here to, to really get down, get, get into these difficult problem sets together and be here for the long haul kind of thing. And there are so many things that you could work on and spend your day on. Is it like bringing on new customers, trying to work on the product, trying to understand sort of the needs of the industry better? How do you sort of prioritize for yourself in the morning? on what to, what to focus on. 
There are two top priorities for us. The first is obviously network growth, and that's just inherent for any marketplace model. We definitely want that engine to be running and, and building demand and supply. So that's a very primary focus. And since, I mean, the reality is since the workflow software, the product design software is so core to growth, it is an acquisition method. And then also conversion, which gets us to the order, the transaction on the platform. We focus a lot on the design of the software and the, you know, just driving engagement in the application. So those seem like two big chunks, but every day I wake up, those are my my two biggest priorities. In the press, it said that, you know, currently you're focused on the personal care, beauty industry, and that with a series A, you're planning to expand from these two categories. I mean, they seem like large categories where you could, you know, write them out a little bit more. But what's sort of the the larger vision there? So actually, you know, the raw materials industry and beauty and personal care, like you said, is quite large. It's actually a $500 billion market. So it is currently our focus. And when you think about it, it's everything from toothpaste to hair care to cosmetics. It's It's quite expansive. And when you think about it from a materials perspective, it's everything from the tube or the cap or the bottle all the way to the goop that goes into it and all the materials um, of that goop. So for us, that has been primarily our focus. But the interesting piece about that, and this is just the nature of the industry, is a lot of those materials are used cross category. And so we have seen natural organic growth into home care, into food, into pet food, which is really crazy. And so for us, the, the focus is once we really nail, and this is a huge market to nail, taking that playbook um, to these adjacent categories, but obviously not stifling that growth if it happens naturally on the platform and we can service them. So, Yeah, it makes, makes a lot of sense to, to nail it before you scale it, they always say, but it seems like you have some, some really strong product market fit in this core category already. And sort of for yourself, what's sort of the, the long-term vision? Do you want to have this as a life project for the next 10, 20, 30 years, especially given the pretty quick journey at a naked poppy? Is it something that you, that you think is your one baby? And that's sort of also the reason why you went for the solo founder route, which is not always easy, as we all know. Well, I mean, you said it correctly that this is my baby. I think said differently, I think it's actually interesting when you wake up in the morning and feel uh, like you have all the skill sets and all the experience to charge at a problem that you've been uniquely designed to solve. So I think that this to me is the end game and the only thing that I plan to do for the rest of my career. I think on that front, like, yeah, the, it's hard to be a solo founder, but to that point, you can also charge forward and make pretty efficient decision-making as long as you surround yourself with really smart people and can fill in those gaps and be asking questions a lot. And so that's something I'm always challenging myself to do. But the long-term play, I mean, this this is a platform play. Um, I think the entire consumer goods industry will be developing products on Novi. And so obviously it's a, a streamlined, efficient way of doing that. But when you think about a platform that supports the entire ecosystem, I think that's something that will take years and years to develop, but is incredibly sticky. And I think that's actually what's really exciting is if you entrench yourself across the ecosystem, it's really hard to rip that out. So. Yeah, it's definitely, once you have product market fit, you have a moat there. Maybe as a last point, um, when people want to follow you on, on Twitter, on social media, find out more about what Novi is up to, what's the best place to go and stay in touch with the company? Who's the target audience that you think could really benefit from it today? Just give a shout out to all the different sources and ways to get in touch. 
So the target audience is the small to medium-sized brand. Yes, that is selling mostly D2C, but also trying to distribute into the major retailers. We see a ton of those brands coming to the platform. Check us out on LinkedIn, at Novi Connect, on Instagram. We also, for those suppliers that are trying to get traction into this ever-growing category of up-and-coming indie brands that are taking over market share, definitely come to noviconnect.com list your materials. Um, and then of course, manufacturers who are trying to get into servicing more of these brands, but also developing products for the brands also come noviconnect.com or follow us on LinkedIn. Wonderful. Thanks. Thanks, Kimberly, for taking the time today and telling us about what you're up to. The pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. 